Takes you back, doesn't it? Pink Panther. If you're younger than 40, you might not know. <laughs> there I am, right? The youth pastor. Always making fun of old people. No, like I said, I'm excited about this new series. Uh, because I believe that when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about this whole concept of, of prison break, and a, of being free from some of the sins, some of the struggles that we've gone through in life, I'm not just talking about it. I'm not just excited about it because, you know, I've read the Bible and I've read stories about what Jesus has done. It's happened to me in my own life. There's so many things that God has freed me from on a yearly basis where it seems like every single year there's something new that I'm struggling with. Every single year there's some sort of pain, some sort of sin, some sort of struggle that I need freedom from. It wasn't just when I was 16 years old and I gave my life to Jesus when he freed me from drugs and alcohol and making horrible choices. But just a couple of years ago, when I was 22, when I had all the answers, when I knew exactly how to live this life perfectly. No, I was struggling. When I was 22 years old, I was a junior in college. I'd been married for about seven days when I got the call to be the youth pastor here at New Hope. So I'm heading into my senior year of college. I've been married for about a week, and I was just offered a job to be the youth pastor at New Hope Community Church. And so, so much change, so much transition, all good things, loved it. But I was so young when I started as the youth pastor here. Still am, only 26 years old. But here's what happened to me. I was interning in college at a church down in Andover called Meadow Creek Church. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it, but I was down there. I was interning there as one of the youth guys, and we had a, we had a solid youth group. It was fun. We had 20, 30 kids every Wednesday night, um, and it was a lot of fun. I learned so much. And then when I got to New Hope, when I started my first Wednesday night here back in 2015, we had 95 students show up on the first night of youth group for our fall kickoff. And I was so excited because I came from a youth group of like 20, 30 kids. So I'm like, man, this is sweet. This is so much different. Like there is hype. Everybody's excited. Like this is good. The next week, we had about 125 students show up. I'm thinking, who am I, right? <laughs> who am I that these kids are coming to see Justin Dominic? It kind of quickly became all about me, right? A couple of weeks later, we went from 125 kids to 60. The next week, we had 90. The week after that, we went back up to 110. The following week, we had about 75. And I'm sitting here as a brand new youth pastor, as a 22-year-old kid, and my ego and my self-worth and my self-confidence is rising and falling every week. Because one week, I'm, I'm the best youth pastor, right? I've got like 120 kids, like this is good. I'm, I'm making such a difference. The next week, I'm the worst youth pastor because what the heck, half my kids left and they're not here this week. And this is what happens in life with me. It is something that I've struggled with consistently throughout my whole life that what I'm about to share is how God freed me from it. But my ego, my self-worth, and my self-confidence rises and falls with my success and failures. And I don't know how many of us are in the same boat. I'm sure a ton of us have gone through this in our lives where no matter what job we do, no matter what class we're in, if we get good grades, we feel good, right? We feel smart. If we get that promotion, it's like, yeah, I obviously deserve that promotion. But when something goes wrong, when we fail at our job, when we fail a test, all of a sudden it's like who we are as a person, if we're not confident in who we are in God, who we are as a person in our failure can drop so much. And we're starting to wonder, who am I? Am I dumb? Am I an idiot? Am I a protector? Am I a provider? Can I not run my family? Can I not raise my kids? I'm failing and then I'm succeeding. I'm failing and then I'm succeeding. And all this up and down, it takes us through a whirlwind. And this is what, this is what was happening to me. 
This happened for over two years. Our attendance went like this all the time. And my ego, my self-worth, it went like this right with it. And for over two years, I was struggling. I was broken on the inside. I would get up and I would talk about Jesus. Yet I felt so far from him because I felt so broken on the inside. It wasn't until we hired Pastor John Foley, who's, who's preached up here a couple of times. I don't know if you know him, but we went out to lunch a few weeks after he was hired just to kind of you know, get to know each other a little bit. And all of a sudden, the floodgates opened because I hadn't told anybody about the struggle that I was having internally. The floodgates opened. I was like, John, I am struggling. I'm frustrated. I feel broken. I feel like I have no self-confidence. But if 120 kids show up this Wednesday, I'm going to have all the self-confidence of the world. Like I'm just not on a good track. And he gave me a little bit of wisdom, some practical advice from pastor to pastor sort of thing. But here's the one thing he told me that I need to do. I needed to get alone with God and start talking about it, start praying about it. And it was something that I kind of felt ashamed of because obviously as a pastor, I know that answer, right? I'm the one telling you to pray for things. I'm the one telling my students to pray for things. But in my own life, I felt so ashamed, so unsuccessful, and so confused that I kind of left God out of the equation. So here's what I did. We have a prayer cabinet at our Cambridge campus, and little plug, if you're ever interested, it's open for our whole church. You can go down there, and you can pray. It's right down by the lake. It's a great place to be. But I grabbed the key. I went down to the lake, left my phone in the office, and I just brought a notebook and a pen. And for the first five minutes, all I did was lay down, close my eyes, and listen to the trees swaying in the wind. Heard some birds chirping, but my goal is to just clear my mind, because there was so much distraction so much frustration. I needed to just get alone with God. So I cleared my mind. And after about five minutes, I took that pen and notebook and I started writing down all my insecurities, all my struggles, all my pain, all my frustration with what was happening in my ministry. And with that list of about two or three pages of frustrations that I had written down, I just started asking God to heal me and to help me to surrender to him. And here is what God did for me. He reminded me that my success and my failures do not define me as a person, but that I am a child of God. And what I need to do is I need to trust him. I need to believe in him. I need to go to him. I need to obey him and I need to seek him and he will take care of the rest. And I wonder how many of us need that, that, that encouragement this morning, right? that we need to seek God. We need to be obedient to God. We just need to love God, listen to him, listen to his voice in our lives, listen to his word as he teaches us in the Bible, and he will take care of the rest. And when I walked out of that prayer cabin, I'm not, I'm not kidding, I felt the same exact peace, the same exact comfort, and the same exact freedom that I felt the day that I gave my life to Jesus. Because some of us, I think, in my, in my own life personally too, but some of us, I think, man, we remember that moment where we gave our life to Jesus. And we're thinking, man, this was a powerful moment. I don't know what's happening with the lights, but they're shutting off. But this was a powerful moment when I got saved in VBS. Or when I got saved, you know, 10 years ago, God just did so many good things. But then life goes on and we kind of forget that God is still working. It doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for 60 years. It doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for 60 minutes. God is working in our lives every single day. Because here's the one truth that I know. That even though Jesus has saved us one time, when we gave our lives to him, right? He saved us on the cross. There are things every single day that he continues to save us from. 
Because even as Christian people, even as people who love Jesus, it is so easy to sway. It is so easy to leave God in just certain areas of our lives. And for me, I trusted Jesus. I knew that he saved me from my sins. I knew that I was saved and I was going to heaven when I died. But there was still this struggle of insecurity. There was a struggle of fear. There was a struggle of fear of failure in my life. What I learned is that every single year, there are things that God wants to change about who I am. There are so many areas of all of our lives that even though God has saved us and he loves us and we are his children, he is still trying to work out the kinks in who we are. But we need to know this morning that God can do that. And if you're living in your own prison today, and we're going to talk about a prison break here in just a few minutes in the book of Acts, but my prison was insecurity. My prison was ego. My prison was brokenness and trying to find my identity in things that I should never find my identity in. And I wonder what your prison is today, whether it's anxiety or fear or depression, or there's some sort of sin struggle that's happening in your life that maybe people know about. Maybe it's a public thing and people are judgmental towards you. Or maybe it's something private on the inside that nobody's ever seen before and you're the one that's judging yourself. Whatever it is, you need to know that God has the power to release you from whatever prison you might be stuck in. And we're going to read about that in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. But it starts off with this, verses 1 through 5. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, which just means beheaded. And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So this is just the beginning of the story of the whole prison break that happens in the book of Acts. But what's happening in this story already is that the apostle Peter has just been arrested in just a matter of days after one of his very best friends and one of the other apostles, John, has just been beheaded. And so Peter knows where this is going. So Christians are being persecuted in the city of Rome. They're being persecuted because they keep spreading the gospel. They keep preaching about Jesus. And Herod, who is the king, back in this time, kings saw themselves as gods. And so if you're teaching about Jesus, if you're teaching about a God who wants to save his people, and you're not talking about Herod, he's going to get pretty ticked off. And so he starts persecuting the Christian church. Anybody that talks about Jesus, anybody that goes to church, if he can find them, he'll arrest them. And that's what's happening. And he's taking down their leaders. He just had James, who was one of the the key apostles. Now he's got Peter. And Peter is in prison. And it just so happens that he's in prison that Herod gets him during, it says, the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And that's a really weird name for a festival. But essentially what we're looking at is just a holiday, like Christmas, like New Year's. And this is where it's really interesting. Because the apostle Peter is the very person that Jesus has just said a few chapters back earlier in the Gospel of John. He said, Peter, I will build my church on you. You are going to be like the guy that I build my church on. Jesus says that you are the rock who I will build my church, and the the word rock is translated to Peter. And so it's interesting that Peter is like the guy when it comes to church, yet he's just been arrested. And so King Herod 
He's getting excited because he's like, I've got the leader. I've got the guy. But God's timing is really interesting here because this whole arresting happens during a festival. It happens when everybody's sort of on vacation, King Herod included. And so while John was arrested and beheaded within a matter of one or two days, Peter is in prison for a week. And this is where it gets really good. Because whatever we might be in prison with in our own lives, some of us have struggled with anxiety for years. Some of us have struggled with fear for years. Some of us have the same sin struggle that we've been trying to kick this habit for years and years and years. Yet trust God's timing. Because Peter went to prison thinking that he was going to die by the sword as well. But when this happens during a festival, what God is doing is he's giving Peter more time. He's giving more time for the church to pray. And whatever God is doing in your life, whatever you feel like you might be in prison with, just know that you are going to be released. God can save you on his timing. If you're struggling, if you're frustrated, if you're thinking, man, I've been a Christian for 20 years, but for some reason I've been struggling with this same exact sin struggle for so long, and I don't know why I'm so sick of it, I just want to get rid of it. Keep praying. Because God's not done with you yet. Even when you're frustrated, Even when you're wondering, why hasn't God released me from this? Why hasn't God saved me from this? Why hasn't God allowed me to walk free from this yet? Keep praying. Because God does things on his timing. You know, Peter was in prison for about a week. And verse 5 says, while Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying for him. And this is where God's timing is key. Because he allows Peter to be in prison for multiple days so that the church can get down on their knees and pray. And what I love about this, this verse is it's, it's so simple. It just says Peter was kept in prison and the church started praying. But that word earnestly is really key. Now, what we're reading in the book of Acts, this is a translation of the original book. The original book of Acts was written in Greek language. And so what we're reading is a translation. But that word for earnestly in the original Greek language was, I have no idea how to pronounce it because I'm not Greek, but it's ektenos. And that word ektenos, it's one of those words that has multiple meanings. You can use it in different situations and it can mean, you know, the same thing sort of. It was used by doctors in the medical field. And how it translates is to stretch a muscle to its limits. This is the same word that's using when we're talking about prayer. Now, the picture that God wants us to have in our minds when it comes to how this church is praying is that they are stretching their muscles to their maximum limits. They're not waking up, you know, having their bowl of cereal, and they're all saying, okay, we're all going to pray around breakfast time before we go off to work, and we're just going to, you know, pray that God releases Peter from prison, and then, then we'll ask God to bless our, you know, food to our bodies and just say amen. No, what this picture that we're getting in our minds is when it says they were earnestly praying, is they were down on their knees, weeping, crying out for God to intervene. And I think that this is where God wants to challenge us this morning. And over the next few weeks in the series, is that we have gone to so many different things to try to save us from our own personal prisons that we've been living in. And the question that I want to ask you today is, are you praying? Are you earnestly praying? Are you seeking God? And I hear a lot of pastors take this a different way. I've heard a lot of pastors in my own life teach me the same thing, and I'm not super comfortable with it. But here's what happens. 
Sometimes when we talk about prayer and the power of prayer and we ask people, you know, are you praying about it? And they say, yes. This is what I, want, this is what I don't want to happen to you. I don't want you to feel like I'm guilting you to feel like you're not praying hard enough. Because I know for a fact that there are some people in our church, I just heard a testimony last week of a couple in our church that has been praying for their son every single night for years, and he still hasn't come to Jesus. And so when I was preparing this message, I'm thinking, I don't want to act like our people aren't praying. I don't want to act like the people of New Hope Community Church aren't praying earnestly or aren't praying hard. But what I want to challenge us with, what I believe that God is challenging us with, is are we praying hard? Some of us are, but some of us need to honestly, and I'll I'll just be frank, we need to step it up. Because when we pray, and when we earnestly pray, when we pray with a prayer that's almost stretching our muscles to its limits, when we are crying out for God to save us, We're not trying to move a reluctant God who's saying, you know what? Just pray harder. Keep praying. Just pray harder. Maybe I'll do it. Just pray harder. That's not what God is doing. When we are crying out to God, we are showing God that we are fully dependent on him. When the church was earnestly praying, they recognized that King Herod didn't have a bone of mercy in his body and that he was never going to change. They recognized that the prison guards that held Peter captive were not going to all of a sudden become merciful people. They recognized that only God could save Peter. And I'm a little bit reluctant to share the rest of the story because we have about four more weeks in this series, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Peter is released from prison. When the church is praying for six days, on that last day, an angel comes, tells Peter to get up, breaks his chains, and he walks out of the prison door free in the middle of the night. This is what happens when we pray. And like I said, God might not move in the timing that you want him to move, but when we are seeking God, when we're seeking for a move of God, when we recognize that nothing else can save us, no matter what prison you might be in, if you're struggling with anxiety or comparing yourself to others, man, going for runs is great. Right? Releasing some of that through, through jogging or through running or through listening to music, those are great things that we can do. I believe that those are gifts from God, but some of us need to get down on our knees and just cry out to God. There are so many different things. When I was struggling in my first couple of years of ministry, there are so many different things that I was told to do by so many different people. You know, one of the biggest pieces of advice I got was get out of ministry a little bit, right? If you're struggling, if you're feeling like, man, you're just broken in your ministry, if you're just exhausted, if you're burned out, then go do something else for a little bit. Like go play basketball, go hang out with a friend, get your mind off of things. And I would do those things, but I never changed Nothing was transformed. Nothing ever changed until I got down on my knees and I started praying for this very specific thing and I started praying hard. I got rid of all distractions. I put my phone in my office. I cut off everything and I just got alone with God because the thing in my life is I forgot the power that God truly has. I forgot the power of prayer. One of my biggest weaknesses in my own spiritual life is that I don't pray enough. It's so easy for me to read the Bible, which is super weird because it can be boring, right? But it's so easy for me to read the Bible. It's so easy for me to come to church. Two great things that Christians should do. But prayer, even though you can do it anywhere, even though you can do it at any time, even though you can do it in meetings, even though you can do it at home and by yourself 
in, in your favorite chair. Prayer is a difficult thing for me to do. It just is, and I don't know what it is. But no matter how good at praying we are, no matter how easy or how difficult it comes for us, we need to be seeking God in our own lives. If you want to be released from the prison that you've been living in, it doesn't take religious service. It doesn't take dropping an extra 20 in the giving box on your way out the door. We need to be people who seek God. We need to be people who seek his presence, seek his power, because that's what prayer is, right? We're not trying to move a reluctant God. He's not just saying, hey, if you just pray harder, I'm going to do this for you. What prayer is, is we're getting on the same page as God. Our heart becomes God's heart. We start to understand what his desires are, what his will is, and how he wants to speak in our lives and how he wants to move in our lives. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about some of the prisons that we may have been living in. Is there a prison that you've been living in in your own life today? Are you struggling with a sin that you have not been able to get over in your life? Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, or whether it's pornography, whether it's greed or pride, whatever it might be. But these are sins that we can become enslaved to. Or maybe there's something in your life where you just cannot get over comparing yourself to other people. You're so insecure. All you do all day long is compare your life to other people's lives. Compare the way you raise your kids to the way the other mom raises their kids. You compare what you have for a job title compared to what the other guy has for a job title. If you're a kid, man, you compare your grades. You compare the clothes you wear. You compare how many followers you have. It's so easy for us to get caught in this cycle of insecurity, fear, anxiety, depression, and sin. But do we believe that God has the power to break these chains? If God can release a guy like Peter from prison by sending an angel and working a miracle, God can release you from whatever prison that you are living in today. But our call is not to do religious things. Our call from God is to not give more money it's to not you know, serve in church. And those are great things, right? We want to be generous. We want to be people who serve. But if we want to be people who are free, God doesn't call us to do anything, to work harder. God calls us to seek his presence, to seek his wisdom, because he is the only one that can deliver you from whatever you're going through. It is only his power. We can only rely on him. And that's what prayer is. We're getting ourselves out of the way. When I pray, what that's a symbol of is it's saying Justin Domino does not rule his life anymore. Justin Domino is exhausted. I'm sick of trying to do things my own way. When I pray, I'm inviting God in to do things his way. You know, there's a story in, in the book of Mark where Jesus has just given his disciples the power and the authority to cast out demons from people. And what do you know? A couple hours later, they come across a demon-possessed boy whose father is desperate for him to be released from this demon. And so they pray for him. They, they put their hands on him, and they say the magic words, and nothing happens. The next chapter, Jesus comes on the scene, and the disciples ask him, they're like, Jesus, you just told us that we had the authority to do this, and it didn't work. We failed. And here is what Jesus says, Mark chapter 9, verse 29. He said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. This kind can only, become, can only come out by prayer and fasting. 
See, the problem was that God, it wasn't that God didn't show up. The problem wasn't that God didn't show up. It was that the disciples did. And if we're trying to find freedom in our own lives, we have to stop relying on ourselves and we have to start relying on God. And when Jesus said this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting, there's a really interesting way of phrasing that by saying that this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, there are some struggles, there are some demons, there are some sins that can only come out by seeking God, by giving up your own power, by giving up and saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm not strong enough. I'm too weak. I can't overcome my addiction. I can't overcome my struggle of comparing myself. I can't overcome my insecurity. It has to be God. I've got to be transformed by his power. Otherwise, I'm going to fall right back into the same cycle. And so here is our call. God is calling us to seek him, to pray to get up every morning at five o'clock if that's what you have to do, but to spend a half hour, even an hour, in just seeking God in prayer, telling him everything that you're going through, tell him how you, exactly how you're feeling, and just asking God to give you forgiveness, to give you freedom, and just surrendering your life to him. And you will never know what that means for your life. You will never know what kind of power God actually has in your life if you don't do it. See, my fear is that so many of us are living in our own prisons and we've been stuck and we've been chained down and we will never truly know what freedom looks like because we're not sitting alone with God and just pouring out ourselves to him and just seeking his guidance and his wisdom and his provision for our lives. And so as a church, we're going to do this. As a church, we're all going to get involved in this. And when Jesus said this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting, this is our call. We're going to do a church-wide fast over the, the rest of this whole series starting next Sunday. So three weeks of prayer and fasting as a whole church. And if you're not familiar with fasting and what that means, essentially fasting is just withholding yourself from certain foods or not water. I was going to say water, but you would die. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> or certain things that are, that are holding our attention in life. And we withhold from those things. We give those things up for three weeks. And anytime we're hungry, or anytime we just want to watch Netflix, or anytime we just want a greasy cheeseburger, we take those hunger pains, or we take those desires, and we remember that we're focusing on God instead of those things. Now, I want to throw out a couple of disclaimers here. When it comes to fasting, as a church, we're going to do fasting from from certain foods. We call it the Daniel fast, where we only eat vegetables, we only eat fruit and certain kinds of food. And there's a whole booklet on this that you'll get on the way out the door this morning. So if you're confused or you have no idea what this is, there is information. So we'll guide you through it. But here's sometimes what happens when it comes to fasting. is Some people get so excited because we're going to lose some weight. And I'm going to feel young again. I'm going to feel like I'm 24, not 26. <laughs> Some of you are like, shut up. <laughs> but we get so excited because it's an opportunity, right, to lose some weight. But here's what we need to know, is that this is not an opportunity to lose some weight. And sure, that might happen to you. You might feel good. You might feel younger. You might feel a little bit slimmer by the end of it. And what a blessing, right? That's a good thing. I'm not going to shame you for that. But this is not about losing weight. It's not about feeling better about ourselves. But when we give up certain foods... 
and we just eat vegetables and we just eat fruit and we just eat the bare minimum, it's because we don't want to focus on anything else. We don't want to have these cravings for all these other things in the world. We just want to have cravings for more of God's presence. And, you know, I, I shared a little bit of a testimony at the beginning of my sermon this morning about how God kind of released me from some of the insecurity, some of the fear that I was struggling with at the beginning of my ministry. And we have dozens and dozens of testimonies of people who have done this fast with us as a church. We've seen women get pregnant that were told they were never going to have babies before. My wife was one of them. We've seen people released from addictions that they've struggled with for years. We've seen people where the power of sin or whatever they're struggling with has just been completely broken. And it's not because that when we fast, like, ooh, supernatural things are happening. It's like magic when we fast that God just blesses us automatically. God might not bless you in the way that he blesses somebody else during this fast. But the thing that we have to remember is the most important blessing that we can ever have and the one blessing that God gives every single one of us when we focus on him is his presence. See, fasting is an opportunity for us to say, less of me and more of you, God. You might not give me a new car. You might not get me out of debt in these next three weeks. I might not get pregnant. I might not get released from this addiction, whatever it might, whatever it might be. But I will have more of you in my life. Because God's presence is the greatest present. I wish I would have used that line at Christmas. <laughs> But God's presence is the greatest gift. It's no matter what we go through in life. If we have the presence of God, we know peace. If we have the presence of God, we know love. Because when we have God, we have love. When we have God, we have peace. If you have any more questions about what the fast is, you'll get a booklet, obviously, on the way out the door. But you can come ask me, come ask one of our staff members. I'd be more than happy to kind of walk you through it. And, and just, you know, you don't have to fast from food. It can be Netflix. It can be paying your bills, whatever it is. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But whatever you feel like is taking some of your attention away from God and you want to focus more on God, that's what God is calling you to fast from. And so as the worship team is coming out, here's what I want us to do. I just want us to close our eyes for a minute. And I want us to sit with God and just seek him. Is there anything in your life that God is calling you to be free from? Is there any sin struggle in your life that God wants to free you from? Is there any frustration that you've been living with? Is there any addiction? Is there any fear? Is there any sort of struggle that God wants to free you from? And just as Peter was sitting in prison with cold chains around his ankles and his wrists, some of us have been in the prison of our minds, struggling with fear. Some of us have been in the prison of our own addictions. And you don't have to tell anybody. This is just between you and God right now with your eyes closed. But is there anything in your life that you need freedom from? Is there anything in your life that you need to only put your trust in God for? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we look at the cross and we just say thank you. Lord, that the power of sin and the, the power of the curse that was on us is broken.
that we found freedom. But Lord, even though we found freedom in that one moment, there's still things, Lord, that we struggle with. There's still things that pop up in our lives that we wish we would never struggle with. There's pain in our past. But we know that if we don't go back to that, that place of our pain with you, Lord, we might never find freedom. We might never find healing. So Lord, during this fast that you're inviting us to do, help us to go back to that place of our pain. Even though it's difficult, Lord, help us go back to that place of our pain, that place of our struggle, that place of our abuse, whatever it might be, and start talking to you about it. So if we don't get it out in the open, if we don't start praying about it, Lord, we might never find freedom. And we know that this is all because you love us. Lord, it's amazing to just sit in your presence and realize that you are a God. There is a God who loves us and wants us to be free. With how much struggle there is in the world, with how much war and anxiety and fear and pain and turmoil, you are the God who wants to free us from it. You are the God who wants us to live a life of abundance, wants wants us to live a life of peace and of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment and passion and purpose. And Lord, just that very thought, just that very truth reminds us that you love us passionately. So Lord, let us know what you want us to free, what you want to free us from. If there's any struggle, if there's any addiction, any sin that we need to be free from. Lord, help us to fully put our trust in you. Help us to fully reach out to you, to seek you, to seek your presence, to seek your wisdom, to seek your guidance, and to seek your deliverance. Because it is only you, Jesus, who can free us. We love you. Amen.